Hey beer nerds, welcome to the podcast. In this episode, beverage industry veteran and founder of Brooklyn Brewery, Steve Hindi phones in and we talk about his experiences as a war correspondent, Brooklyn Brewery's logo, and his brewery's newest relationship with the Japanese beer company Kirin. Uh, also, I travel down to Western Kentucky to speak with actual veterans Steve and Kate Irving of Hopkinsville Brewing Company, where we discuss their family-friendly brewery, Edgar Allan Poe, and the upcoming total solar eclipse. As always, thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. Um, I have decided to start doing bottle giveaways periodically on Twitter, so be sure to follow me at MolarMD, and and also keep up with pictures from brewery trips on the Building Breweries Facebook page. As always, if you have any brewery suggestions, or you are a brewery with a good story, you know, reach out and let me know more about you. Now, let's go to Hopkinsville, Kentucky. I'm here in Hopkinsville, Kentucky at the Hopkinsville Brewing Company. I'm joined by Steve and Kate. What's going on, guys? Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Th- thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, this is the first craft uh, beer brewery in, in the city and in the county as well. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. Um, how did Before we get into the, to the brewery and business and everything like that, what, what are your all's backgrounds? How did you, you all meet? How did you all open the brewery? Well, we met uh, in 1999. Um, uh, I joined the Army at 17 years old in 1993, and I've really been in the Army, Army ever since then. Uh, the Army brought us to Fort Campbell uh, here in 2004, and we've been here ever since. Uh, Kate's back. I'm originally from Connecticut. Kate's from St. Louis, uh, but her dad was a government contractor, so really both of us have uh, traveled all over the United States uh, as a re- result of our professional lives. But uh, we call Hopkinsville home for the last 14, 15 years. Excellent. And, and you're active duty still, correct? I am. I'm still active duty Army officer. Yep. And I, uh, I'm a helicopter pilot. I did fly the, uh, the OH-58 Kiowa, which was a scout reconnaissance platform, and I'm learning to fly the uh, Apache right now. Awesome. Um, did I read that you, uh, that you served tours in both Iraq and Afghanistan as well? Yes, and you... You should also know that Kate is actually an active duty veteran of the 101st Airborne as well. Uh, she was an intelligence analyst, and we served in Iraq together as well. So don't let her fool you. Oh, okay. Neat. <laughs> what, uh, what, what inspired you to build the brewery to begin with? Steve started thinking about what he was going to do post-Army when he retires in a few years. And he came to me one day and he said, you know what? I think I want to make beer. And he had been homebrewing, you know, a while at that point. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's really cute. That's funny. And then we somehow ended up, um, well, he actually put together the business plan and started putting together all this information. And um, at one point he made a vanilla bourbon porter and I tasted it. And I said, well, all right, if you can make beers that taste like this, then you might have a shot at it. And to elaborate on that, I remember the exact moment where the seed was planted in my head. Uh, it was that vanilla bourbon porter, and Kate's dad came in. We were living in D.C. at the time, uh, which is also a great craft beer area. He came by. He tried the vanilla bourbon porter. He took a sip. I took a sip. He had the, the foam in his mustache, and he looked up. He's like, hey, that's pretty good. You should open a brewery. And it was that was about two and a half years ago, so almost three years ago. And... Uh, the, uh, the little seed became the mighty oak, or is it the little acorn, I think, that became yeah. the mighty oak? E- either way. Yes. I'm sure there's a seed somewhere. Um, so from the, so you said that was about two and a half, three years ago? Yes. And when did you open? We opened September 3rd, uh, this past Labor Day weekend. Yeah. So we're in our sixth, seventh week of being open. 
That's fantastic. Let, let's talk about Hopkinsville for a little bit. What, what kind of city is this? It's a small town. Um, we're just, what, 10 minutes north of Fort Campbell, but you drive through acres and acres of cornfields to get here, and it's a nice little town. It's, you know, hundreds of years old, and it's a great community. It's, a, it's the place where we wanted to raise our kids and just put down roots, and the longer we were here, the more we wanted to do something to help the town grow and maybe help revitalize the downtown area and bring something new and different here. Yeah, you, you all certainly seem to, to contribute to the town in a lot of different ways. Uh, before we started recording, I, I commented how I see all of this Edgar Allan Poe material throughout the town and, and the brewery. And then, then you told me that you actually had a, a beer inspired by that. So every year, the Penny Royal Arts Council, which runs our historic theater and puts on numerous events during the year. So every year they partner with a national foundation to put on a community community-wide book club. So this year they chose Edgar Allan Poe's Tales and Stories. And the longer I thought about it, I thought it would be really cool to have a Poe-inspired beer. So Steve developed a Belgian quad recipe um, that we call the Red Death in <laughs> honor of Mask of the Red Death, which is one of my favorite stories by Poe. And it's very tasty. About 20 pounds of Belgian candied syrup, a Belgian Abbey uh, yeast, and it's about, what, 8.5%? 8.8. 8.8, yeah. 8.8. And a dollar from every sale of uh, that pint goes directly back to the Penny Royal Arts Council in order to help fund some of their other programs. Yeah, and, and, and you're certainly providing a space for different uh, food truck vendors to come in, and, and you were saying that there's one, uh, and this is something I've never heard before, a nonprofit food truck. It's Old Soldier Barbecue. Um, he is a retired Marine, actually, and he started this food truck as a way to raise money for a youth program um, at one of the local Baptist churches that helps at-risk boys. So every penny he makes from this food truck goes directly to that youth program. And, and you're providing a space for people to come and drink a beer, happen to get some of his, uh, his product as well, so you are certainly contributing to the community. Well, and I'm really excited about his event today. He actually picked up a howler of our pale ale, and he's going to work that into his mac and cheese this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, before opening, what kind of funding did you all have? Breweries are expensive, right? They they really are. The uh, during the research phase, uh, anybody who's researching hears that you should lay out your your estimated costs and your estimated timeline, and then multiply both of those by three, and that would be your actual expenses. Mm -hmm. I think most guys who have been guys or gals who have been through it would agree with that. Um, so to begin with, our funding was really minimal. It was, it was personal savings and, uh, and just personal equity that we had built up. Yeah. The, to really get launched, though, uh, uh, we decided we needed a huge injection of capital. Mm -hmm. uh, so we decided to, we researched uh, kickstarter.com, and there really hadn't been one successful in this area uh, ever before. Uh, we designed a campaign. We talked to a lot of folks who had been through it. We carefully selected our merchandise tiers mm -hmm. and marketed the heck out of it. And uh, it turned out, when all was said and done and the building was lined up and everything, our launch date was the Thanksgiving Day, and our end date for the Kickstarter campaign was Christmas Day. Hmm. So not the best time to launch a uh, campaign to try to raise funds, but we did it. Um, it is. It was. It'll be the for anyone who hasn't done it. It would be the longest thirty days of your life. Uh, we were able to raise forty five thousand dollars though through that. And uh, you see, like off to our left behind me here, all mm -hmm. of our Kickstarter backers are. Oh, neat. Uh, we've recognized each of them. I think we had uh, one hundred and seventy two 
uh, backers total. Um, and we and our first opening night, our soft opening, we invited all of them here, and they were able to t- be the first ones into the brewery. So it can be done. But it's uh, the best advice I got from a uh, a, a brewery owner in D.C. Uh, when he was giving us some advice and mentorship was a Kickstarter is a full-time job. Do not underestimate it. And I underestimated it, and it. but I really respect that advice now. Yeah, actually, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. So uh, I'm, I'm from Louisville, and uh, when a new brewery opens, I notice that they pretty much get advice uh, and, and have mentors throughout the entire city with every other brewery in the, in the area. It's, it's a very much a brotherhood. You are the, the first brewery here in Hopkinsville in, in the county. You mentioned that you, that you had the individual in the brewery in D- D.C. kind of guide you through things. Has that were, were there others involved? How, how, how exactly did that work? Just asking well, questions. After the seed was planted and the concept planning began, um, we, we continued our weekend routine. We were in Washington, D.C. at the time. We were stationed there for two years. Hopkinsville was still home, but we were remote. So we would go to the different breweries with the kids uh, in Richmond, uh, Washington, D.C., all around the Beltway and all those little towns with little breweries in them. And Kate would carry around a, uh, a composition book and we would take notes and like, hey, that's awesome. Or, hey, if we ever did it one day, maybe we would try to do that. Um, so I guess it was direct and indirect mentorship that, that really helped us. Um, but along the way, there were some that were both here in Kentucky and Tennessee uh, through the Internet and in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, folks that were willing to share and provide advice and, and give you tips to try to help you get you started. I, I'm looking at this uh, in the building right now. There's a lot of um, a lot of older brick. I see the um, the, the garage door there. Um, what can, what can you tell me about this building? We're not really sure how old the building is. We're the town historian has told us anywhere around the early 1900s, based on some of the decorative brickwork. Um, but when we bought it, we bought it from a guy that used it as an office for his cleaning supply store. He bought it from a barber shop way back in the day. It was the Hopkinsville Yellow Cab Company. And at one point it was a gas station, um, a service station for the local Ford company. I mean, there, we're not really sure what has happened in this building. Um, but when we walked in, there was a four foot trench that ran the entire depth of the building where oil changes mm-hmm. happened in the days before hydraulic lifts. Um, yeah, so we just tried to clean up the building as much as possible and, and stay true to its original character. Yeah, it's it's looks like a brewery, and that, that's all you can ask for. It's 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 a great little building. We uh, we refer to it as Pinterest gone bad. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you do you do have a, a lot of beer related uh, celebrity quotes in the bathroom. I noticed. Yes, <laughs> that's very much a Pinterest that's thing. Not my creativity. <laughs> no, but no. You say so. You have the the patio area. Area you you have the uh, the bar area, and then on you have a second floor area as well. It, um, a lot of reclaimed materials throughout the building, right? Yeah, we tried to. I mean, I think we call it like Kentucky Industrial. Um, <laughs> so we made up a style. Uh, we tried to uh, recycle materials from barns or pallets or wherever we could. Um, and keep the building in the original character too. Um, and then right out of that composition book, we integrated as many ideas from breweries, uh, really from Kentucky all the way out to the East Coast, all these different breweries as far south as Florida, as far north as D.C., um, and everywhere in between. Um, take the, the, the good ideas that we saw from all of those um, uh, like the large uh, blackboard beer menu or uh, a very open, inviting, uh, well-lit 
community and family friendly tap room feel the uh, the outdoor beer garden feel uh, we don't have TVs uh, we don't do loud music uh, we have board games like classic board games for folks to play um, so it's we really strive to create a especially to uh, this being Christian County um, we, we strive to be a, a very open community family friendly environment uh, to uh, really get back to like the roots of early America with the tavern feel right yeah right. it's it's there's such a stigma that people think that there's a bar so that therefore all sorts of debauchery has to happen but before we we met today you you were telling me kate that you homeschool your kids here when we were designing the building we were very conscious of not wanting to be a bar so that's why we have a serving counter that we don't have seats around it it is not a traditional bar and yes we do homeschool our kids so they were very they were very active participants (laughs) in not only working on the building as we were renovating. Um, But even now our 10 year old can tell you, um, I've had him in here helping me pull yeast off the fermenters and he can tell you how to take gravities off the, off the beers and why we take gravities. And um, they, they've learned a lot. They've gotten a lot out of it. And most mornings, if I'm down here puttering, you'll, you'll find them down here reading or doing their schoolwork while I work. So um, we wanted, we definitely wanted to be very conscious of it being a place that you could bring kids and feel comfortable bringing your children here just to have a pint or two. We've got uh, juice boxes in the, in the fridge for kids. We've got Candyland over here on the counter, some place that you can bring your kids and it's okay to, to spend time as a family here. It's awesome. Hey, you know, parents need to get out too, <laughs> but um, to kind of caveat on that, I mean, we, when we created the space and in our concept, um, we're veteran owned and operated. So, uh, that's near and dear to us, especially wounded veterans, uh, or any disabled. So we've tried to make it ADA accessible as much as possible. Why you see the tables are wheelchair height, the serving oh. counter is wheelchair height, everything accommodates that. So it really makes us feel good when we see folks use it as it was intended. We also wanted to create a very intimate space where you see like, there's not a whole lot of separation between, um, uh, uh, where the brewing happens and where the customers uh, can enjoy their pint. So we can get right up in there with them and talk about the brewing process um, and then also facilitate discussion and interaction between the customers that come in too. It's just great to see people come in, get their beer, sit down, and then interact with people they live and work with. I'm thinking about where we're located right here in, in Kentucky, and you, and you have some dry counties surrounding the area do you think what you're doing here kind of helps the helps to fight that stigma that i mentioned before that maybe someday these dry counties will see well maybe maybe that maybe bars aren't too bad maybe we can have alcohol and have a safe safe place so when being the first brewery in this county um and being a relatively conservative area uh that was a very big concern for us we wanted to walk softly as we as we entered um, but we have been extremely well received. The, uh, the city mayor, city council members, local uh, uh, state representatives are all regulars here and mm-hmm. have been incredibly uh, uh, receptive and helpful with the concept. Uh, they see that it brings people in. For the first time since we've been here, we see people come not going from Hopkinsville to Bowling Green, Nashville, Paducah, but folks coming in from those larger outside cities into Hopkinsville. Hopkinsville. So it's an attraction. And to get back to your uh, question about what the other dry counties surrounding us, I think that they are watching us to see what happens mm-hmm. um, and if such a business model would work in their counties. And, and I hope it is helping 
the other counties um, break the stigma of an alcohol-based business. Yeah, the, the, um, does Hopkinsville have a distillery as well? As did I read that correctly? We do have two distilleries around us. We have Casey Jones, and we also have MB Roland. And MB Roland has been well; they've both been very helpful um, and and very supportive. Um, MB Roland gave us this barrel that we are aging our Kentucky sour in. Ooh. So when we got the barrel, it still had about a gallon of bourbon left in it. <laughs> we put the the Kentucky Common in there, and it turned out, in addition to the bourbon, there might have been a little lactobacillus. So it soured it beautifully. Mm. So it's it's my current favorite actually that we have on tap and it's gotten good reviews from the other local sour beer drinkers. Do you, do you kind of just envision here for a second that Hopkinsville, it's the year, what, like 2020, has it changed any? I mean, are there other breweries here popping up? Is there, is there another distillery around? How's the beverage industry changed? Well, I hope that Hopkinsville Brewing Company has at least tripled in size by then <laughs> uh, and is alive and well. But uh, yeah, I mean, it would be great if, uh, you know, if we had by, God, 2020, if there were like two other breweries in town, that would be awesome. Because uh, there is that symbiotic relationship between breweries in these small towns mm-hmm. where they create an environment for the town and the area Um that just draws in more people and the whole city becomes an attraction based off that craft uh, character. What, what kind of beers do you plan on focusing on here? Uh, we really, being the first brewery here, uh, our initial, we, we brew twice per week and uh, we created a lineup of eight different beers. And it was essentially on the light end was a, uh, a very simple wheat beer. Uh, on the dark end was uh, we do a very robust porter and a, uh, a chocolate milk stout. Um, and then the pale ale, the IPA, everything in between uh, from light to dark. Uh, we focus pretty much within the, uh, the established style guidelines with regards to beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, tried to, within that lineup of eight, make a beer that appeals to the dark beer guy, the light beer guy, the pilsner guy, the hoppy guy or gal. Um, but we started to take some artistic license with some of those as well because it is a science and an art, right? Um, and then we've, we actually, I mean, we're only in our six-week opening, and we've already done uh, the, the, the one-off, which was the, uh, well, the sour was a one-off mm-hmm. that we were able to squeeze out and brew. And then the, uh, the Belgian quad was a special beer that we decided to do. We did also a yellow cab uh, wheat ale, which was really just a kitchen sink beer. We uh, utilized uh, the remainder of our ingredients on hand and people loved it. So we were talking about this this morning too, is, uh, uh, it's interesting that when you create your lineup of beers, uh, essentially it's mostly what the styles of beers that you like, but some, it should have some thought of what you think the customers would like, but being receptive to what people like and what they don't like and what sells really drives the, the production process. And we're actually really excited um, for next next summer, next August. Um, Hopkinsville is the center of totality for the solar yeah, eclipse. Yeah. So we're already thinking, it's what, nine months out, ten months out, about a special eclipse beer that I think could be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a fantastic event for Hopkinsville. I, I know the hotels and the surrounding areas have already been you know, booked over a year in advance originally, and it's, it's going to be amazing. What, what has challenged you the most? Ooh... See, I can answer that differently based on where we are in the process. Like at one point it was 
filling out all the paperwork for the federal uh, permits. At one point, it was renovations. Um, right now, the hard part for me, and I know, I'm sure it's different for Steve, is with him being gone most of the time down at Fort Rucker, um, keeping this going, balancing kids, and also trying to keep him involved um, at such, you know, at seven hours away. Um, yeah, just trying to balance all of that. The question was, what has challenged us most? Yeah. I, I totally agree with what Kate said. It uh, There have been different challenges throughout each of the phases uh, in here. Probably the biggest challenge, though, as you know, a small, essentially a small mom and pop brewery is keeping all the plates spinning at once Mm -hmm. and trying to identify lanes uh, as far as who's responsible for what uh, to keep this, what is essentially a mini factory Mm -hmm. that makes beer, uh, how to keep that running smoothly. Um, Yeah. So people are going to start visiting here. When can they visit? When can they come in? Oh, we're, we're open now. We're open uh, Wednesday and Thursday from 4 till 8 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from noon till 8 p.m. But uh, 8 p.m. is really a soft time. Uh, if folks are here enjoying their beer, having a good time, uh, we'll stay open until you're ready to go home. All right. Yeah. And uh, we already talked about the, uh, the, uh, the solar eclipse coming up next year. Are there any other events that you people would be interested in knowing about? Uh, about every month, uh, Hopkinsville has uh, something coming around. Uh, the next big one, I think, is, uh, well, we're going to have a Halloween uh, party here on the 31st. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, uh, <laughs> where folks are encouraged to come in in costume, and the uh, employees will vote on the best costume, and there will be probably some merchandise prize given away. Um, additionally, um, November 17th is the Hoptown Hop Fest, uh, which there's the historic Alhambra Theater here behind us up the street on Main Street. Uh, They'll be providing a live uh, local musical performance, and uh, the two local distilleries, uh, two more local uh, breweries, uh, and us all at the corner of 6th and Main here will set up outdoor tents, serve draft uh, beer to folks in a downtown kind of festive environment. And then later that evening, we're actually uh, one other restaurant downtown, and then us, we're hosting the VIP party Hmm. for that event as well. So the performers will come here and have a catered event upstairs too so and then as far as the brewery events um we try to do regular events um every thursday night we do a beer and yoga class um so it's a an hour of restorative yoga followed by a pint Hmm. and that's been really popular with people around town so um yeah we're just figuring out what the town wants and we and we try to provide that Guys, thank you so much for inviting me to come in this morning. Uh, I, I've never been to Hopkinsville before, so I feel like I've got a pretty good crash course in it over the last uh, uh, hour since I've got here a little bit early and then exploring the brewery a little bit. Uh, so continue the good fight in uh, keeping Hoptown hoppy. Wonderful. Thanks for coming out, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. Before we speak to Steve Hindi on the phone, I wanted to remind you that I do love doing this podcast, and I especially love to do these podcasts in person. You know, travel costs are sometimes prohibitive, however, so I've decided to start a GoFundMe page. If you feel like throwing me a dollar just for gas money, it would go a long way and help building breweries visit your favorite spots. You can donate at www.gofundme.com slash buildingbreweries. I'm on the phone with Steve Hindi. He's the co-founder of Brooklyn Brewery. And um, Steve, how are you doing? Good. How are you? 
are you, Mike? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on this afternoon. It's, it's great to talk to you. Um, before we get started, uh, I'd like to encourage you know everybody out there listening to go out and, and read a book that you co-authored, Beer School. Uh, I learned a lot about Brooklyn uh, Brewery and yourself by reading that you know a few months ago for the first time. It covers a lot of Brooklyn Brewery's uh, you know origin story. Um, that being said, I, I know that the brewery opened in what, like 1987, but would it be safe to say that your story begins uh, more along the, the lines of the late 70s, early 80s while abroad? Yes. When I was uh, based uh, in the Middle East for Associated Press. Yeah, you, you were a, uh, a war correspondent working. Um, can you, can, can you kind of disclose that story a little bit for those that may have not read the book yet? Yeah, it was a, a very uh, crazy time. I arrived in Beirut in February 1979, and uh, that's when the Iranian Revolution happened. They overthrew the Shah, and Ayatollah Khomeini came to power. So I was sent to Iran, um, and I was there through part of the uh, hostage crisis, um, and eventually I got uh, ex uh, kicked out of Iran. And I went back into Iran a year later with the Iraqi army when they invaded, uh, and I covered the Iran-Iraq war from, from the Iraqi side. I was living in Beirut where we had the uh, civil war ongoing, uh, and then the Israeli invasion and the massacres in the refugee camps. I covered all those stories. Um, I was actually abducted once in, in South Lebanon with the UN patrol, and the guys with me were uh, tortured and killed, two Irish uh, peacekeepers. And uh, believe it or not, I testified against the guy who abducted us uh, about two years ago. He, they, uh, he was found in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, he was subsequently uh, expelled to Lebanon, and he's now on trial in Beirut, uh, accused of double murder. Um, so, I, I, I didn't know that part of the story. That That is incredible. Yeah, 36 years after the incident, uh, after the killings. Um, hopefully the guy's going to be brought to justice. And then I, I moved to Cairo, and I was sitting behind President Sadat, and he was assassinated at the parade there. Um, so a lot of big stories. Um, but the, the beer connection happened... <laughs> A lot. Like, I'm, not, I'm not even sure if I want to hear about the beer connection now. Gosh. <laughs> no, no, but, but go on. I, I do want to hear about that. Yeah. In Cairo, I met American diplomats who, uh, they were at the U.S. Embassy, but they had been posted in Saudi Arabia for three years. And, you know, the Saudi Arabia, there's Islamic law, no alcohol. And these guys were avid homebrewers. They had taken up homebrewing in Saudi Arabia, and they continued homebrewing in Cairo because, uh, you know, there's beer in Cairo, but it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. So that was my first taste of, uh, of homebrew. Uh, and it was amazing to me uh, how great the beer was that they made uh, in their homes there. Uh, and then my wife got fed up with uh, being the wife of the war correspondent, so we <laughs> came back to New York. And I started making beer at home and uh, got carried away with the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, I, I don't want to go over the entire history because it's it's documented pretty well, and, and you all have been around for a very, for a very long time. Um, so, eventually, you, you meet up with, uh, with Tom Potter. You, you start your business. Um, can we talk about your logo a little bit that, that was created? 
Yeah, that actually was one of the smarter moves we made uh, early on. I, I don't think we realized how important that was going to be. But um, I, I interviewed about 30 different design firms and, uh, uh, you know, trying to come up with an identity for the company. I wanted to call it Brooklyn Eagle Beer after hmm. the old Brooklyn Eagle newspaper. And eventually I got to meet Milton Glaser, who was actually the only designer I knew anything about. I knew he had done the uh, Bob, Bob Dylan album back in the 60s and the I Love New York logo and uh, many other things, uh, including the, the Penguin Shakespeare series that I read in, in college. He had done all the covers for those. So um, when I met with Milton, um, he uh, loved the idea of Brooklyn Eagle beer, but the first thing he said was, uh, look, we got Brooklyn here, forget about the bird. Let's just call it Brooklyn Lager and Brooklyn Brewery. And uh, that was a very sage advice. And uh, when he unveiled the logo, I was kind of underwhelmed. Uh, you know, I said, that's it? <laughs> and he, he said, look, don't say a word, take it home. Put it on your kitchen table, show it to your wife, don't show it to a lot of people, live with it a little. Uh, and I did that and I began to see the beautiful simplicity of that uh, very elegant B at the center of the logo. And, uh, you know, the name Brooklyn, um, a, lot, a lot of people back in the mid-80s thought it was a bad idea uh, to name the company after Brooklyn. Uh, but I, be I believed in Brooklyn as, you know, this kind of mythical place in, in America uh, that is uh, written about in a lot of books and, and movies. And uh, I thought, uh, you know, there are so many immigrants coming through here. It, it's very recognizable. And it's turned out to be uh, uh, an incredible uh, asset for our company. Yeah, you're right. There's some there's some beauty and simplicity. So uh, it's let's let's go back it's you know the late late 80s early 90s you you and tom potter you're you're in the streets you're hand selling your beer you're you're educating the consumers uh, on on you know craft beer craft beverage good beer uh some people you know today will admit that it might it's kind of hard to educate consumers uh in certain areas right now how hard was it then oh god i i mean i think of all the nights i spent in bud bars in, in Brooklyn. And, you know, the last thing in the world these guys drinking Budweiser wanted to hear about was a new beer. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, they were happy with their Budweiser. And uh, at best, they would sample uh, what, what I had to show. Uh, but they quickly went back to their uh, Budweiser. But, you know, some people embraced it. I would I would say like one out of twenty uh, uh, actually appreciated what we were doing, and uh, you know thank God for those early adopters. Most of them were drinking imported beer. They weren't drinking uh, uh, you know domestic beer back then, and I think they had uh, an appreciation uh, of flavor in beer. And so when we came along with Brooklyn Lager. Uh, uh, you know, they had a taste for it. And uh, that's how we uh, kind of roughed it out and eventually uh, sold some beer in New York City. That's excellent. At what point can you remember thinking, maybe for the first time, wow, we, we actually have something here. We, we have a successful brewery. 
honest, it was like uh, eight years into it um, when I thought, wow, you know, maybe this is going to work. Um, and it really wasn't until 15 years into it that I was certain uh, that we were going to make mo a lot of money and, and that it was going to be a successful uh, company. Wow. So, it, it, you know, you could say after 15 years we, we were an overnight success. <laughs> I, I guess so. O over the time, um, what what did you learn early on? Like, what, what sort of failures did you overcome? Uh, wh what kind of learning curve was there? Well, I think um, one thing I discovered about myself, which and I had no idea uh, that I had this skill, but it, I turned out to be pretty good at raising money. Uh, so, you know, uh, our original investors, uh, many of them were people who I brought uh, into the company. And as it turns out, our two key investors over the first uh, 15 years, uh, both came from uh, among my uh, contacts and friends. And, uh, you know, that's that's something, uh, when, when you start a business, I, I mean, it's, I describe it as, it's kind of like when I went off to cover the revolution in Iran or went to Baghdad to cover the war. You never know what's going to happen, and you never know what's going to be required of you. And and you learn a lot about yourself because you find yourself uh, solving problems and uh, achieving things that you, you never imagined uh, you could do. Um, as far as mistakes go, uh, a big one was, you know, when you have a little success and you get some attention in the press, you're besieged by people who have ideas for you, hmm. you know, like... You should do a restaurant. You should do a brew pub. Uh, you know, we got this great property where you can build a, a huge brewery. Um, and uh, you know, why don't you uh, uh, get into? Uh, you know, you're distributing your own beer. That could be really big. You know, why mm -hmm. don't you uh, expand it to other cities? Uh, people have all these ideas for you. And it's so important to stay focused on your original purpose and, and your plan. Um, but it's hard uh, to do that because there are so many enticing uh, ideas that people put in front of you. Yeah, it's, it's certainly something to, a hurdle to overcome. Um, you know, again, there's there's so much history about your brewery, and, and I encourage listeners to go out and, and learn about your success and, and all the stories behind it. Um, I would like to talk about, you know, international distribution and, and kind of everything that kind of goes along with that. Um, a few days ago, there, there was some exciting news for y'all regarding uh, a new deal that Brooklyn made with the, with the Japanese company, Kirin. Can you talk about that deal and that new relationship? Yeah, that uh, really uh, is uh, the biggest thing that's uh, ever happened to us. Uh, you know, there, there have been uh, key moments uh, in the course of the company, like uh, the mid-90s when we built our new brewery in Brooklyn and uh, took in a big investment from uh, um, uh, an investor from my little town in Ohio. And then uh, 2003 when we sold our distribution company and the Ottaway family uh, got involved, bought, bought out my partner Tom. 
Um, and then uh, this Kieran deal uh, is quite amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's a very solid investment from them for a minority share in the company. So it's like 24% uh, of the company. And we still uh, control the company. And, uh, you know, Kieran will have a board seat. Um, but I think they're going to help us sell a lot more beer in Japan. Um, we um, have been selling beer in Japan almost from the beginning of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Japanese market is very difficult, and Kieran is, is going to be brewing Brooklyn Lager for us in Japan. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to uh, really getting a, a serious foothold uh, in that market. The whole international thing... Uh, just, you know, it, it's one of those things that we didn't really plan. Uh, but from the earliest days of the company, we had people coming to us who had tried the beer in New York, people from all over the world who wanted to export the beer to their, uh, their countries. And, uh, you know, we didn't, I mean, we were kind of amused by that interest, but, uh, we were focused on getting established in, in New York City. We had no dream of selling beer in Tokyo or Stockholm or Paris. Um, but we had people from all those cities coming to us. And, and so we said, okay, look, we'll send you beer, but you got to pay us first, uh, which is about all we could afford to do. Uh, and, you know, we needed the cash. Uh, so that's the way the whole export thing began with us. Um, and over the years, uh, you know, we just, our brand grew in a lot of markets, and we got more and more sophisticated importers uh, handling the beer. And, uh, you know, uh, exports are now, probably this year, they'll be about almost half our uh, total sales. Wow. Uh, with the with the rise of the craft beer movement and everything that's going on with that, how has, how has the perception of, you know, American beer change internationally, if at all? Oh, my God, it, it's like a sea change. Uh, American beer was the laughing stock uh, of, of the world uh, for many, many years. And, you know, many, many of us, many of the early craft brewers were really inspired by uh, drinking beer in, in the U.K. and Belgium and uh, Scandinavia and Germany. And, uh, you know, coming back to America and saying, why can't we make beer like that? Um, and now, with the innovation that's happened in America and the exploration of these historic styles, uh, we're the leader in the world. And we're teaching those countries, ironically, that inspired us, <laughs> we're teaching them about the next generation of, of beer, which is uh, craft beer with flavor yeah absolutely and now just going back real fast to the, to the deal with uh kieran uh, i want to remind everybody that the that the brewers association defines uh you know craft beer breweries as you know they, they retain their independent status uh when they have you know when uh with less than 25 percent of the brewery is you know owned or controlled by an industry member that is not itself a craft brewery you um, Brooklyn sold uh, only 24, I believe you said, percent. Uh, so therefore, it remains yes. it remains independent. That being said, just it, and I don't know if you've probably noticed this, and I've certainly noticed this too. But there is some hostility with people that, that in in certain beer communities that they see this as 
quote unquote selling out. What might you say to those people that accuse you of that? Well, actually, many craft brewers have sold out. I mean, selling out means you sell control of your company right. uh, to a big company. So, you know, Lagunitas did that, and uh, Ballast Point did that, and, uh, you, well, you know yeah. the cast of characters uh, who, who have done that. Um, we, we did not. And right. We very deliberately hewed to, to that, that uh, BA uh, definition of a, a craft brewer in, in taking this uh, investment. Um, so, uh, you know, that I, I actually was chairman of the board of uh, BA when we adopted that craft beer uh, definition, craft brewer definition, and I'm a big believer in uh, in that definition. Good, yeah, and, and I'm glad. I just wanted to clear that to make sure that people understand that you know you, you are retaining your independent status. Um, yes. So thank you, thank you for uh, elaborating on that. Um, now, Steve, we've, we've talked a lot today already, but before I let you go, is there anything coming up that you'd like us to know about? Uh, well, you know, um, the Kieran investment is going to help us realize uh, two big projects uh, that we're working on right now. Uh, number one, we're building a new brewery in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Hmm. That's about a mile from our current uh, brewery in Brooklyn. And uh, that will include a, a tour center and uh, much bigger offices than we have now and a big uh, restaurant and beer garden on the, on the roof of a 16-floor building with incredible views of uh, the New York City skyline. Uh, so that's going to be our headquarters, you know, for the next 50 years. Wow. That's a, a very exciting expansion. We're hoping to keep our current brewery, which has our original brew house in it, we're hoping to keep that as a brew pub uh, in Williamsburg, uh, the neighborhood where we started, uh, you know, almost uh, 30 years ago, which is now a thriving uh, nightlife center uh, for New York City. Um, And then we're also working on building a very large brewery uh, in in the New York metropolitan area uh, to, uh, you know, enable our expansion over the next uh, 10, 20 years. So we got two big projects going, and the Kieran investment is going toward that. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not going toward, uh, you know, a vacation home <laughs> in the Caribbean for Steve Hendy. Now, invest, investing in the company. I, I got it. I got it completely. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a big difference between the, the guys who have sold out have a pile of money, and uh, I, I think many of them are, uh, you know, maybe deluding themselves in thinking they're still running their companies. Uh, because when you sell your whole company to a, a big giant uh, a brewery, the big giant brewery is guiding your future, mm-hmm. not you. That that's absolutely right, and so I that hey, it's it's very it's very admirable that, that you're that you are self aware in in that regard. Well, thanks. Absolutely, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, good luck to you with your uh, podcast. It, you, you've interviewed some uh, interesting people, and uh, you know with the craft beer revolution, uh, 
moving ahead. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of great stories uh, to tell. I hope so, and, and yours is certainly one of them. So again, I encourage everybody to go read your stories and, and read your book, Beer School, because I, I learned so much about you and, and Brooklyn from there. Have a great, uh, have a great week, uh, Steve. You too, Mike. Take care. Thank you.